I'm Francesca Millican-Slater, and this is set six of stories to tell in the middle of the night. I tell you tales that aren't always about the night, but carry a sense of the night, of being awake when no one else is, unrest, when the sleep won't come, the things that keep us awake, regrets, frustrations, urges, losses, lovers, love. They are stories I tell myself when I can't find my sleep. You can find all available episodes to download at iTunes, Podcast, or where you usually get your podcasts. Aptly, here's our first one of the set today. Bedtime Story. They spend their days apart, like anyone does, like most people do. Meetings and rushings and buses to catch, time to beat, support through pinging envelopes and messages that remain remote. But when the day is dusted and the duties are done, she crawls into bed, thoughts talking the day, chattering, turning itself over in her head when her agitation ruins him, and the physical does nothing to calm the voices that turn her in tangents. He wraps her up in him and tells her stories. Did you know the three middle-aged women? Did you know the stories of no consequence, stories of every consequence, stories about science and sport and history, little gems he collects during the day and hides about his person to tell her in the night. They start with... Did you know? Or have you heard? Sometimes she asks questions and they begin to weave their own narratives together, patchworking lives and adding colour. They talk in whispered voices through duvets and pillows, cocooned together in the darkness and time. And so, stories of sports stars with chess player precision, origins of words or people sailing seas. And so, the stories, usually based in fact, as he is not prone to fanciful outbursts, begin to muffle the remains of the day. Of his day, of her day, his words sneak around her shoulders and massage fingers into her blades. They stroke her cheek and lift the corners of her mouth. They close the lids on her eyes until her breathing deepens. The stories are her lullaby, sweet and even. Thank you to Pippa and Chris, who that is written for and about. And in this set of stories to tell in the middle of the night, that's where we are, with the lovers. Because the night belongs to lovers. Thanks, Kate. Tonight, today, wherever you are, we are wrapped up in the comfort of familiar arms, safety in another's breath. Stories of finding each other in a potent sense of smell, original ways to measure time together, 
and a man with his eye on a match made. Next, smell. She could smell people's emotions, hadn't thought anything of it when she was growing up, assumed everyone must smell like she did. But she hadn't been just smelling freshly baked bread, ground coffee, flowers in spring because her everyday sense was diluted by the pungent stink of happiness, guilt, fear, lust and all the smells in between. Growing up in her teens, her friends would exclaim about the scent of a perfume or a body spray sticking wrists underneath her nose, and all she could smell was desperation, hope, value, worth, or lack of. It was only through prolonged and agonising questions that it became apparent that she was smelling something very different to the scents that intruded in the nostrils of the people around her. Can you smell that? She asked her friends as they were getting ready to go out, crimping and dousing, strapping themselves in to swell at mirrors and pre-posed pictures. They murmured distracted answers about a new superdrug scent in between rumbling giggles. Creeping up the back of her throat, sticking to the roof of her mouth, she began to choke on the combination of confidence, desperation and jealousy. Sweet and sticky, overripe mango and the bitter taste of the darkest chocolate. She made her excuses. The worst was grief. Not because of what it smelled of, but because she knew what it meant and it came in varying strengths of pain. The odour was an intrusion into people's lives that she didn't always want. Those people, who seemed outwardly unbothered by the world, would sit next to her on the bus... And it would start furrowing up her nose, snaking into her mouth, rising to her eyes. And she knew what it meant. She knew that they were suffering and she would begin to forgive them all manner of indiscretions, sitting too close to her, pushing past. Grief would begin by the smell of warm ginger biscuits, summer rain, a baking cake, overcooking and then underlying tones of out-of-date satsumas green and furring itching the back of the throat to composting earth stuck coal and salt Sure, people use smelling emotion as a turn of literary phrase but this was real She gagged on people's undercover, uncontrollable thoughts. Sitting in a crowded room could turn her quite puce with sickness. She rolled wadges of toilet roll and wedged them up her nose, but she could still taste marmite, processed cheese, sugar and honeysuckle lust at the back of her throat. Eating publicly was difficult. Anxiety, pleasure, annoyance and hurry filled up her nasal cavities. She longed to lose the scent thought about snorting bleach gargling household cleaner just to burn away her olfactory receptor those molecules of emotion clinging to her nasal hair she could not find anyone with the same condition as her 
and the look in people's eyes when she said she could smell what they were feeling. What about me? Arms folded, direct, stare, incredulous. She always got it right. Lucky guess, they would say. She thought about joining the circus. The woman who could smell emotions if people really did still run away to join the circus, more like Britain's got talent and perhaps exposing what boredom smells like on the Queen is not within the interests of the country. Cardboard boxes, if you're interested. Air-conditioned oxygen, stale breath. So, she got on with her life as much as possible, now keeping her smelling secret to herself. You learn to live with these things. She cannot count the amount of time she's vomited in the street from the stink of jealousy, privilege, superiority or predatory sexual perversions. The really unpleasant kind. Everyday lost in the right context was not too bad. Quite nice. And then, one day, a woman sat next to her and she smelt something she'd never smelt before. The sea, fresh air, wet pavements, earth somewhere, burnt matches, pasties, she thought, beef and onion pasties, kindness and home. And she just breathed that woman in. And the woman turned to her and smiled. They talked, they exchanged numbers, they were unsure or afraid, mistakes and misunderstandings happened, you know how it all goes, but still, that smell pervade home. And eventually, she told this woman of the smell, the affliction that she lived with, and this woman looked at her and rolled her up into her armpits so she could breathe in the scent of home. She made swatches of material soaked in the woman's scent so that when grief or loss, impatience and anger hit her as a wave, she held up those cloths as smelling salts to take her back to home, to her. And now, when she smelt grief, those satsumas overwrite, she would sit with them for a while on a bus, a bench, at work, and she would just say, it must be hard for you every day. Take a deep whiff in. I wonder what you're smelling now. Are you cooking? Onions? Meat? What does that smell like to you? Or perhaps you're bathing in some sort of fragrant bath bomb. Or out on the street, rain on the pavement. Or maybe it's old dribble on your pillow. That smells like Marmite. There's a certain kind of spray that takes me back to where I grew up. 
Links, of course, of course, it's links. That and the sweet smell of dog shit on the wind. Those summer days. Like so many of you, I imagine one whiff of a certain scent can make me lust and ache all over at once. Jean-Paul Gaultier and B&H Breath. Onwards to more visceral ways to measure the length of love in little pieces of us. A bright request for an away day task. He worked quite high up in circles of civil servants. He liked his work. In fact, he enjoyed his work, which he realised was quite rare. But he hated away days. With tasks and goals, getting to know you exercises, with people he was happy knowing on an email-only basis. Keep it professional. No, this was about finding out who you are behind the work facade. All those buzzwords and games seemed such wasted time when work could be being done. And the task for this day, bring in something you're proud of that shows you who you really are outside of the job. People brought in snapshots of them building toilets in villages on their gap year, bungee jump and skydive videos, their top scores on game networks, train sets and pictures of classic cars that they had collected, life-size and toy records. The inevitable first edition of a Smiths album, Unplayed, Pristine, Collectors. He presented... An industrial, bulk-buyer-sized screw-top jar that once contained pickled eggs, three-quarters full with toenail clippings. The collection had started when he was living as a student in his own room of mess and mugs, clothes and cutlery, posters of house clubs and West Coast hip-hop. Tidiness... Cleanliness had never been his thing, and now, at last, he felt in his own natural state. He just lived around what was there, what was left, and what he needed. He had some standards, though. His girlfriend was on her way round, and the least he could do was give a shake-out to his slightly crunchy sheets. And there he found some kitchen scissors, falling to the floor by his unsocked feet, yellowing nails curling over the digits that finished his feet. So, scissors in hand, listening to the six o'clock news, he wrestled with the horns that tipped his toes, amazed at both the length and the smell that emanated from underneath them. Quite impressive, really. Millimetres of nail in length, and that was the big one off the big toe all in one go. And he tried to remember when he'd cut them last before he'd arrived in this place, before he'd left his parental home. He had vague memories of trimming toes over the toilet bowl at his mum's house. Certainly, he hadn't cut them before he'd met her. His girlfriend, that was. Perhaps a year or months at least since he'd last paid attention to his feet. And... All that time he'd been talking to her, eyes lit up with plans for the night or the tomorrows after, his toenails had been growing a ticker tape of time from his own body. He felt quite sad now he'd cut them off. 
They'd been with him when he met her and continued to grow as he grew to know her. Carefully, he swept those recently departed pieces of himself, hard C's, curling sixes or apostrophes, into a dusty glass of evaporated water that sat next to his bed. And he enjoyed the sound they made, delicate and light, a rustle as a breath. Dead protein hitting the bottom of the glass. Dead protein would be a good name for a band. He should write that down. He shook the nails as a shaker in the glass. Quite a collection, really. The biggest, perhaps 25 millimetres across. That's 2.5 centimetres, 4 millimetres, 3 millimetres deep. Which started him thinking. It really was a way of measuring time in his own bodily productions. The pondering of the theory was no coincidence as interests in his studies lay in time, statistics, physics and experiments. He wouldn't just keep his nails in a glass, no. He'd keep them in a jar and every time he cut them, he'd cascade them in to lie with the others as a way to remember what his body had been. Why throw them away when you can document your time in these primeval parts of ourselves? is how he sold it to her when she turned up a few minutes later. Eyes, shining glass of toenails in hand, he asked if she'd help him find a jar. A really large jar. This was going to be a long-running experiment. A life experiment. And he continued talking onwards as they walked to the chippy to ask if they had a couple of old pickled egg jars he could have and a bag of chips to share. And on the walk home, fingers together in hot salt and vinegar, he wondered, he asked if she thought it was all right, if she considered them serious enough to deposit her own toenail clippings in a jar of her own and they could measure the length of their love in alpha carotene. It's the protein that nails are made of. She nodded at him. She was studying medicine. He continued as he did when he was taken with something. And then, and then, and then, if they made it, and you never knew what was around the corner, but if they made it, then maybe, just maybe, one day, they'd pull their clippings into a master jar, an amalgamation of them both. As he tended to talk in one long breath, she hadn't had a chance to articulate her response. But, in a way... It was the most romantic thing she'd heard and the closest to a promise she'd had. And she was doing biology with a view to pathology, so human remains fascinated her in her own way. The clip, clip, clippings went in filling up the jars. Separate houses they were kept in at first to the horror and delight of various changeable housemates. And there were moments and pauses and nails that were cut abroad and nails that were clipped and forgotten and spaces between those two. And even when it looked like a pause might become an end, still the jars were filling up with those human hooves, those toe protectors, yellowing with age, stained in paint, cracked from stubbing. 
And eventually, eventually, because they were quite young when they first met, there came a time when a house was acquired, along with a little boy made by them both. And so, her toenails went in a jar with his toenails, and the union was solidified. And so, their children's little clippings, they had a girl after the boy, from baby upwards went in the jar too. It was an absent-minded thing. The toenails just went in. So, on that day, that open day at work, as a display of himself in his suit and tie, he could think of nothing better than to show the industrial bulk buyer's size old jar that once contained pickled eggs filled three quarters full with toenail clippings. Big ones, small ones, painted ones and baby ones. He called it, deadpan in his own way, little pieces of us. Thank you to A and B for their love story. I gave it to them for Christmas. But love isn't always found by smell and toenail clippings. Sometimes it's a little less accidental. We move further into the dark of the night. Lower the lights, close the blinds just in case, and meet a man who obsesses in the power of love. He watches her from the comfort of his car, cosy. Front door open, security light beams on. She's in pyjamas and slippers running out, head ducked down in the rain, bin bag in hand. It's bullets. He suppresses a laugh. It's more the timing, really. He watches her look up at the sky, look down at the floor, look around her, and kick the contents into a pile. Goes back indoors. Doesn't come back out. Lazy. Forgetful. Typical of her, he's been watching her for weeks. The light in the lounge goes off. The light upstairs goes on. Then off. Forty minutes, still raining. Files, envelopes, a pair of scissors on the passenger seat next to him. 45 minutes. He reaches into the glove box and pulls out a box of gloves. Surgical, powdered on the inside like you get in the pound shop for a pound. This is the part that he really enjoys. He's done all the legwork, the watching, the comings and goings, the buses she takes and the ones that she doesn't. Packages delivered, the takeaways. So many takeaways. The TV programmes, he's watched her watch through the gaps in her curtains. Picked up the free papers after she's discarded them. A person's attitude towards crosswords and Sudoku can be very telling. He's gone through her rubbish. She's a lazy recycler. Bottles pile up. Receipts, mainly food in and out. He studied her discarded doodles. She writes, 
her own name again and again and again. She's looking for herself or she draws boxes 3D like she's looking for security. All of this is to be expected. All of this is perfect for the service that he offers up. Unaware of it as people are, but he's not in it for the gratification, no. Now, sometimes the people that he offers this service to are all statistics and timings. It's hard to hold on to who they really are, but sometimes, like this time, they come creeping up on him so obvious as to who she is. He knows her, her type, looks at her file. 30 small group of friends likes a drink maybe a bit too much likes radio 3 and bruce willis works hard lives alone it's fine alone but it's been a long time since she's had any contact skin to skin he knows what kind of person she needs who will fit the match he opens up his second file, a selection of singles, people in the same area he's given the treatment to, the watching and the going through the bins, investigated them all in a particular catchment area and rewritten his research of them into lonely hearts descriptions, unbeknownst to them. He categorises them into likes and dislikes, hobbies and priorities, and then he places... One lonely person's heart into the letterbox of another. By hand, they don't even know he's doing it. That really is the thrill for him. But it's not about him. No, it's about romance. It's a well-intentioned suggestion of two people he thinks, judging by the contents of their rubbish bins, among other things, might just be well suited he is the coincidence impetus for a love affair to begin rom-com he finds the one he is looking for for her and into a self-sealing envelope with for you printed across it he presents genuine Looking for genuine, early 40s, 5'11", no ties, like staying in, going out, plus various ints, seeks honest F to enjoy ordinary life and moments of joy. He wrote that himself. Alongside, he puts a meeting time and a place convenient to them both. He's aware of their timetables. Once this suggestion is out of his hand and in their house, they have one choice. Act or don't. The decision is theirs. Still raining, envelope in hand, he half runs, half hunches towards her house in the half light. That was Analog Tinder, a service coming to you soon, so please do check your letterboxes if you're single. 
that bitter little word as if it always takes two. You've been listening to stories to tell in the middle of the night. That was The Lovers. Sweet, meat stories that led us deeper into the night proper as next time we'll be hearing from the horrors in the night, the fear and the chills and unsettling in the bones. Did you lock the door? What was that noise outside? If you have enjoyed this Stories to Tell, please let us know by rating, reviewing, tweeting, messaging us. You can visit storiestotellinthemiddleofthenight.com or tweet us at middlenighttale. We are originally releasing the episodes weekly over nine weeks from May 2018, but if you're listening from the future, hello. All nine sets of stories are available to download at iTunes, Podcast, or where you usually get your podcasts. They have been released in an order which references the next episode, but they don't have to be listened to in that order. They are made so that each set of stories stands on its own, although if you like them, I would listen to episode nine last. Its theme is hope as morning breaks, and that's a good thing to listen to last. We have also released a selection of BSL video interpretations of these podcasts. These can be found at storiestotellinthemiddleofthenight.com. Stories to Tell started as a theatre show, born from ideas of people, friends, awake and up in pain or anxiety and not being able to sleep. These stories are made to be listened to when you are awake, a light still on or not, although... I have been told that I have a voice that sends dogs to sleep in a good way, but I think. It is written and voiced by me, Francesca Milliken Slater. Sound design is by Ian Armstrong with podcast support from Mark Steadman, produced by Pippa Frith, supported by Arts Council England. Copies of the original theatre text are published by Ink Concrete. You can buy or download at inkconcrete.com or on Amazon. Stories to Tell in the Middle of the Night, the theatre show, was originally commissioned by Birmingham Repertory Theatre and was supported by Arts Council England, China Plate and the Sir Barry Jackson Trust. It was produced by Pippa Frith. I'm Francesca Milliken Slater and you can find out more about what I do at francescamillikenslater.co.uk. Ian is Ian with two eyes at ianarmstrong.net. Pippa is at pippafrith.co.uk and Mark Stedman is at stedman.io. Listen out for a bonus episode where myself, Ian and Pippa will be in conversation about sound, the show, how it became a podcast and if Ian has been recording cutting his toenails. <laughs>